And I just thought, well, hold on a second, how can I call myself a victim of either abuse or exploitation if I willingly went into that lad's bedroom mm -hmm. and also enjoyed what happened when I was in there? Uh -huh. But I, it's only when you kind of start unpicking that and going, hold on yeah. a second, there was a massive power dynamic. Absolutely. There was a massive power differential there. Um, you know, For him to be at high school, yeah. things are happening on a physiological level yeah. that just weren't happening for me. Hey everyone and welcome to episode 8 of On My Mind. In this episode I'm joined by Duncan Craig, CEO and founder of Survivors Manchester, a charity that's based here in my home city. Duncan is also a qualified counsellor and likes to maintain his practice alongside running the charity. After breaking his silence about being sexually abused and raped as a child, Duncan struggled to find specialist support services in Manchester. Instead, he had to travel over 300 miles each time he needed to access a support service in another part of the UK. After focusing on his own healing, in 2008 and with just £250 in his pocket, Duncan founded Survivors Manchester, a charity that supports male survivors of sexual abuse, harm and exploitation in Greater Manchester. In this podcast, Duncan shares some of his personal story, along with some of the leaps the charity's made over the last 10 years. And in a twist to the normal guest episode format, our roles will switch halfway through and I'll be talking openly for the first time about my experience of being sexually exploited when I was a child. It's important to mention that this episode covers themes of child abuse, sexual exploitation, rape and sexual harm. So please take care of yourself when listening. There are links in the podcast bio to national support services should you need them. I don't want to feel nervous. Why do I feel so nervous? I don't know. Why do you feel nervous? <laughs> Mind over matter. Yeah. So yes, I will edit in your intro afterwards. Okay. Um, but for now, your episode eight of On okay. My Mind. That's the name of the podcast. Marvellous. So welcome, Duncan Craig from Survivors Manchester. Thank you. Nice to be here, Matt. I'm really... Um, I'm really thrilled that you've come on the podcast because I think some mm. of my listeners will benefit from hearing what you've got to say. Oh, so. Um, so how about you start by giving us a little intro into who you are and what you do? Okay, so uh, as you said, I'm uh, Duncan Craig. I'm the founder, chief executive of uh, an organisation based here in Manchester called Survivors Manchester. And it's an organisation that support boys and men who are affected by sexual violence, uh, rape, sexual assault, uh, child to sexual abuse, trying at the moment to sort of think about how we describe our work because there's a bit more of a movement to say we should really be saying uh, across the whole of the country we should be saying people who have unwanted sexual experiences and I kind of I'm sort of going with that at the moment so I suppose actually what I should really be saying is Survivors Manchester is an organisation that works with boys and men who have been directly affected by unwanted sexual experiences. Okay, is there is there a reason why that's where that shift has come from? Yeah, well, I think I think it's probably out of coming out of the the Me Too movement because if you think about the stuff that you've heard on the news around 
your allegedly Kevin Spaces and Harvey Weinstein's and stuff. There's there's things in there where people weren't necessarily touched, for instance, but where they were uh, a situation was manipulated, where they would have 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 been humiliated or used or uh, there's a. I think it was Louis C.K. I might be wrong on that one. A really quite famous comedian who was kind of uh, would invite people into his room and was masturbating when they got there. So there wasn't necessarily some physical contact, but that meant that the person who had walked in had had this kind of experience that was really humiliating, that was kind of wrapped up within sex. So I think it kind of comes from there. So there's there's lots of different terms, isn't there? There's rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual harm. Yeah. Is it kind of basically saying, I like, think let's try and wrap all that yeah, up? Yeah, I think it's trying to find, like, kind of an, an umbrella because, you know, rape is a very specific act that's defined in law. Uh, sexual abuse means so many different things. Child sexual exploitation means so many different things. So I think we just, at the moment, I think, post me too movement i think we're trying to find a bit of a catch-all word really that doesn't exclude people because we've kind of suddenly found our voice and i say our voice i mean uh the, the public at large but also i mean survivors and i include myself as a survivor of child abuse a survivor of rape survivor of uh, sexual exploitation in, in my late teens, early 20s, we found our voice and we're now beginning to use it. And way more importantly, I think the public at large are beginning to listen. So it sounds like it's this kind of like, there's two sides to this. There's a legal side when Mm -hmm. somebody has had something happen to them. And then there's the kind of the more kind of what's left after that. And it seems like some of the legal language doesn't necessarily fit with the experience of people. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, so an example would be uh, rape. So really kind of uh, can feel like it's a really heavy word for people. It's a really uh, toxic word. It means so much. And yet, actually, it's defined in Laura's when person A inserts his penis into the anus vagina or mouth of person b when person b doesn't consent and person a knows there's no consent so defined in law described in that way and a bit uh that's not verbatim from the law that's just a bit of a summary it essentially what it says is that only men can commit the act of rape but rape can be committed against a male or a female so I've had uh, clients as uh, as a therapist, I've had clients come to Survivors Manchester where they may have experienced uh, sexual activity with a female. Uh, so a very traditional one might be a younger lad with an older female babysitter and he would say something like, and then she raped me. Now in law, it wouldn't actually be rape because she can't rape, because females can't rape, according to the law. But that's never been my job to say to that individual, well, well, actually, it's not rape, it would be blah, blah, blah. Because actually, what I think what people are saying is, I think people are telling you the horror of how they feel. I think they're using words to describe 
a kind of uh, an experience that is just really quite abhorrent to them and rape is a word that's abhorrent to us all so I think they're kind of pulling those two things together and I think that's perfectly okay to do that so almost it becomes almost like a feelings word yeah very much so yeah 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 okay and you you mentioned that you're a survivor that's why you founded survivors manchester yeah and i checked out before that you're comfortable to tell us a little bit about your story yeah yeah so my story goes back to i suppose the start of the modern day story goes back to uh 2006 2007 when i was trying to be a psychotherapist i was working with a young man and he'd been abused and I was, I've worked with people before that had been abused. I've spent some years working in drug services and uh, it was often a story of, of somebody's detox, someone's rehab where they would come out with a story of, you know, something that happens when they were younger and they literally then spent the next 10 years self-medicating. But I was working with this one young man in a in an NHS setting, actually. And just quickly, what do you mean by self-medicating? Uh, so kind of like, okay, so uh, so using drugs to forget. Right. The truth is that you don't ever forget. You just turn the volume down on the memories, or you take the colour out of the memories, or you just manage to suppress the memories, uh, the thoughts, the feelings for a period of time. Uh, there's quite a lot of research actually that's been written about people who who are opiate dependent, so heroin users, for instance, where there will be significant early life traumas. So there's you're more likely to to have significant early life traumas as a heroin user than 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 not. So I was used to kind of uh, uh, complex vulnerabilities, complex traumas. Working with this young lad, and he uh, described something that had happened to him by his uncle. And I remember that night waking up in the middle of the night in absolute sweats and and having a nightmare and really not like not liking it, not understanding why and, and talking about it to my clinical supervisor. So as as you know, training to be a therapist, you know, you go through uh, uh, this training and when you've when when you're training you have certain amount of, of supervision and then you when you carry on as a therapist you also have supervision but I was talking to my my supervisor and said I just don't know what's kind of going on for me this this guy said this and it's just it's literally sent my head west like I, I, I can't stop thinking about him I'm, I'm having nightmares where actually I'm in my nightmare, I'm him being abused in the way that he's describing, but by somebody else, and I don't know who somebody else is. And and I remember, I remember Heather, my uh, my supervisor, saying, "So what is it about him that's different than anybody else you've ever worked with?" And I remember my immediate reaction was, "I'm not too sure. I mean, it's not like I've been abused or anything." And I remember the way she looked at me, and she said didn't say that you had been abused and I felt like I got really really defensive and then I just I had this flash kind of in my head and I just remember seeing this particular person's face the man that abused me and and it was like in a way it was like imagine somebody stood above you and they throw a bucket of ice water from a height you kind of get this like pow on your head and then it just kind of drips down I felt like this rush 
that went from the top of my head right down and I just burst into tears and for the first time in oh god it must be about 16 17 years for the first time ever I saw John the man that abused me I saw him in 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 a truth way so I like began talking and I said I kind of feel like I need to talk about it and she said okay so I said well you know it was you know it, it, it was kind of weird because you know we were sort of the same age and again like flash but naturally no I couldn't have been the same age because I was living in this house and I was living in that house between this age and this age and and I would only go from that house to that place and and all of these like like these these pennies started dropping and I felt like I got these like like anchor moments like you know when you see like an anchor drop from a ship into the ocean it felt like that powerful like I had these moments of like like oh my god like these facts just revealed and I just remember saying to her it was abuse because actually the story I told for years and years and years prior to this moment was oh yeah you know when I was younger you know, I used to knock around with this guy and, you know, we'd kind of do things and he'd buy me stuff and, you know, we might have a little bit of sexual activity going on between us. But, you know, and in my head, I literally would say I was like, you know, I was sort of 15, 16. He was like 17, 18. And I just had this like this complete equality to this relationship. And actually, the truth of the matter was, I must have been about 11 when it first started and he must have been at least 50. It finished when I was about 16, 17. He must have been, you know, heading towards 60 at that point. So there was something there that my my brain had sort of gone, you're not, at the time, you're not ready to deal with this. Let's rewrite the story. And as time had gone on and, you know, as I grew up, as I grew up, you know, throughout the Manchester gay scene and, you know, everybody had a story of someone that they'd dosed around with when they were younger. And everyone had this kind of coming out story and that, that had evolved into mine. But the truth is, it was it was child abuse. So do you think that had just been really locked away until you sat in front of that client and just heard that narrative? Yeah, there was a, there was a particular thing that he described that I remember. It literally like... It, it could have been, now in hindsight, you know, that was what, uh, 12 years ago, 13 years ago-ish. Uh, I, I could still, I can still remember exactly what he described. And for the purposes of confidentiality, even though there's no way we're ever going to find out who he is, is something that's very integral to me as a therapist about keeping confidentiality. Sure. He described something that was exactly the same as something that happened to me. And I think that was the trigger thing. I think that, the let's kind of say that the uh the door that in my brain that was kind of busting at the seams that had all this stuff locked away i think it was like really flimsy the door and it, that one little thing had just cut right through it like a like a hot knife through butter and everything had just come flooding out and what what happened after then because that must have been a really powerful and quite I suppose um yeah d- disturbing and yeah no kind yeah of really disturbing really disturbing i uh i remember i remember crying a lot uh i remember going back home 
in like the hours preceding and sort of like locking myself away, not speaking to kind of anybody about it, uh, having this like real sort of crisis of confidence, you know, maybe like kind of a little bit of an existential moment really of, you know, who am I? Because suddenly, suddenly I feel like all of my uh, history was a lie. I now have to, and I was 20, uh, what was it, 28, 29 at that point. Uh, I've I've now got to re-examine all of these memories because actually maybe they're all a bit of a lie. Almost like you'd look through your life through a filter. Completely, completely through a filter. Uh, Like it had been rewritten. So I took myself off into therapy and... uh, really did some digging i i did some i i I think i probably did some of my best personal development work at that time as well uh really like i I was i always say this i feel like i was really lucky because i was in an environment where i'm being taught about therapy i'm being taught about human psychology i'm 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 learning to understand human beings at the very same time as I have this absolute desperate need to understand me. So I was in so many different environments at university, different uh, groups that I had to sit in, different types of therapy, I had all of that. The one thing that was missing from my life was uh, uh, survivors. So, you know, people who had experienced this. So I uh, did some research and found an organisation in, in Wiltshire. So there was nothing in Greater Manchester. There was nothing in the northwest. Uh, went down to Wiltshire uh, a number of occasions to, to get help, to meet other survivors, to kind of, you know, say, hashtag me too, you know, way before the actual Me Too movement. But suddenly I felt connected. I felt not alone. And uh, I read a book once by a guy called Mike Lou, who wrote this book called Victims No Longer. Really like the, I suppose, the essential uh, text for anybody that is a male victim of of sexual violence of, of, of any kind, really. Mike wrote the book, uh, I think, sort of late 80s, I think like 88, 89. And uh, Mike became a friend of mine many years later. Uh, and in the book, Mike talks about abuse happens in isolation, healing happens in communities. And it, it's something that's really always, I've always really held, you know, like like meeting other survivors, being able to say, me too, being able to just go, oh gosh, thank God it's not just me on my own. Because essentially as human beings, we're, we're social creatures. You know, we, we're pack animals, aren't we? We can't survive on our own. So a sense of connection, an authentic connection, because if you've yeah. had a, a, even if it's um, not the same experience, to be with people that have had identified as being abused, yeah. that must have been massive. But to have to travel so far. Exactly. And that's the reason why Survivors Manchester was born, really, because I recognised my need. I was able to, I had the, I had the funds to be able to go and, uh, get some help, but I just thought we've. I need. I need to do something. I really need to do something. So, got a group of people together, uh, set up a, a board of trustees, a steering group, and the fifth of February two thousand and nine, a letter came through the door at home, and it was. Uh, 
it was a certificate to say that you were officially a not-for-profit organization and what and that was that was, moment like i just I, I literally it felt like like it was it was just like dreams do come true like i'd i'd set this organization up and now it was down to me to make it work so i just went banging on doors uh you know, funders, uh, NHS saying, can I have some money? And literally, people were shutting doors in my face. You know, because at that point, people were... L- like, I remember a couple of commissioners, uh, funders saying, yeah, d- abuse doesn't really happen to boys and men. And I was like, well, but but it does. I'm living proof it does. Uh, we are so much further on 10 years later because it because you know even though we started uh, the organization officially opened on the 5th of February 2009 we started uh, offering services it was it was round about uh, July August time 2008 that I really began talking to people really began trying to get people together so so like now now ten, it's like officially like 10 years later and i can see how much we've we've moved on what was that like for you being told these things don't happen to men and being a person who did, who ha- had happened to horrifying i mean i still find it horrifying now because even though i'm saying things have moved on and i genuinely genuinely believe they have uh, we've still got a long way to go i still have conversations now where I'm sat in meetings or having conversations, you know, being interviewed by journalists and stuff, and they go, yeah, but, you know, it doesn't really happen to men, does it? And I'm just going, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not really too sure which bit of me telling you that I'm a survivor of sexual violence, sexual abuse, I'm a survivor of rape, you didn't actually listen to. It's just, it feels so, like, like disempowering. You know, survivorship, if that's even a word is for me is about connecting it's about becoming empowered as an organization and as a therapist i don't empower somebody my organization doesn't empower people we create spaces and and generate tools for people to become empowered themselves when someone tells you this doesn't happen to people and you're like but it does because i it happened to me it's like they're not seeing you when people don't see you it's isolating. Abuse happens in isolation. Healing happens in communities. And that's one of the things that you're really passionate about. And if you look through the survivors' website and mm. any of the materials, it's all about we see you. Absolutely. We will listen. Absolutely. We believe you. I truly believe when we look at things like mental health, suicide, suicide's the biggest killer of men under 35, I think it is, in the UK. That's horrific what's going on uh it all seems to come back to silence silence is a killer and i truly believe apart from you know if you were a a spy or something like that talking about something never kills you not talking about it does and that's your hashtag break the silence absolutely yeah be heard be heard be seen know that you can be heard know that you can be seen it's not about you should speak out it's about hey guys do you know that you can speak out and should you want to speak out there's people here to listen 
Fast forward 10 years for us then. How are things now with both survivors? What are you guys doing? What What's the organisation look like? What are you getting involved so, with? So, wow. So fast forward 10 years. So we are... We are a uh, 17 staff strong organization, two independent sexual violence advisors. We had the very first male ISVA, uh, and ISVA is a is a a, a member of staff, a, a role that everywhere across the country should should have an ISVA. If you're an individual who has reported to the police and you're going through an investigation. As as the victim of sexual abuse, sexual violence, uh, and Isva is somebody who is there to support you right through that. We kind of call it like report to court uh, process, which can be quite a long period of time. So the Isva is there to to make sure that you're okay. Uh, we have uh, a I have a team of ten therapists providing. One-to-one therapy. We've got a uh, art psychotherapy group in uh, a prison as well, working with non-sexual offending offenders. All of them, people who have themselves been uh, who who have themselves been offended against, so they're survivors. Uh, we've got a three-day-a-week clinic of trauma therapy in another prison. We are. Oh, you know, we are delivering peer support. We are uh, developing volunteering roles. We've got some peer support roles coming up. We are helping, uh, I suppose, Greater Manchester and, and the Northwest and the UK begin to talk and change the landscape for male survivors. I'm sat here in my suit today as I've just come from number 10 Downing Street this morning where I was part of the uh, launch of the victim strategy, the first time the UK has ever had a victim strategy. So we're doing stuff on a national level, but also on a local level as well. Uh, and, you know, I think for me at the moment, uh, my proudest achievement is finding ways to give people voices. So two big ways recently is we were involved with the Coronation Street story so the David Platt rape story so I helped develop that story and one of our ambassadors Sam who was a, a guy is a DJ and he was uh, raped in Manchester City Centre and in effect the story that they developed for Coronation Street is based very much on Sam's story so we were able to work with Sam and I was able to help Sam kind of tell his story and that kind of became David's story the same sort of things happening with Hollyoaks at the moment. So we're going through quite a big period of work with Hollyoaks on the, the football abuse story. And another one of our ambassadors, uh, Steve Walters, who is an ex-professional footballer, he was one of the people that first came out and spoke out about the abuse that he'd experienced from from Barry Bennell, uh, who is a who we now know is a like a was a prolific paedophile. Uh, and and that's kind of helping more people come forward. Uh, and then we've got uh, our expert advisory panel. You know, a group of, for me, really inspiring people. So this isn't survivors. Isn't just about working at an individual level. Although you do a lot of that work, you're really keen on getting the message out there, educating and having a narrative around male survivorship yes definitely it, you know it's it's not just about 
providing services for people to come and get support from. It's also about trying to help drive the narrative, the discussion. It's about helping people talk, whether that's a person who's been directly affected and wants therapy, or whether it's a bunch of politicians that are trying to create a law, or it's a teacher that wants to do some education for a school, or it's a group of people who just want to help get the message out there that you're not alone. So from one one survivor travelling to Wiltshire 10 years ago, yeah. the numbers of people that you're helping now, I mean, I'm trying to do the maths in my head, it's difficult to quantify, but do you have any numbers that you yes. can share? So... Uh, if you'd have asked me this six, seven months ago, I'd have said we we on average we uh, have round about uh, about thirty new people that ring up every month asking for help, saying can I come and can I come into therapy? Can I have some support? Uh, we we it averages out that last year it was one brand new person would ring up ask for help, come for an assessment every single day of the year. Not five days a week, every single day. So we had about 370-something people. So it works out to be like 1.0-something. So like one brand new person. Following a couple of higher-profile media campaigns that we've been involved with, plus the Coronation Street story, Literally, the the uh, month that the Coronation Street episode went out, we had seventy two people, and in that month, that uh, were referred in. So not just somebody who just rang up and put the phone down. These are actual referrals. The following month, it dropped down to sixty two, then dropped down to fifty five, then went back up, and so actually now we're plateauing out at round about uh, anywhere between kind of forty eight and fifty five. So like per month so mm. significant numbers of people we could literally say it's literally like two people a day now mm. two men a day in greater manchester are ringing our helpline or emailing in and asking for help it, it blows my mind it absolutely blows my mind of how incredible that is like two men a day are breaking their silence two men a day are saying me too it, 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 I like I'm sat here with like a big smile on my face now because it's just phenomenal because I know personally what it's like to hold on to that pain and silence and I also know that even though it's really difficult and painful and uncomfortable to go through the experience of speaking out to get ready to speak out I also know the value of speaking out and I remember saying I did a BBC breakfast uh, on the sofa, BBC breakfast show uh, a couple of years ago. And, and I remember saying something very similar and just saying it's, it takes so much so much less effort now for me to be a survivor than it did to be someone that was silent. Wow. So, I mean, I guess you've given us a bit of an insight into how you feel about yeah. the pro- the progression of survivors, but... Seriously, from a one one survivor to all of the people that you're helping now, all of the, the therapeutic services that you offer, 
and outreach services like what do you what do you do you have moments where you're just like wow like like now i mean like honestly i'm not i'm not just saying this like every day every day i have a wow moment uh whether it's this morning this morning walking through a big a pair of big black gates stood next to me was a man who uh, a year and a half ago was beginning to talk about being raped as uh, in Manchester city centre and going to this organisation called Survivors Manchester to get some help. And then after that moment, he asked his therapist, could I speak to the person that runs this organisation, please? And the therapist came to me and said, one of my clients would like to speak to you about, he wants to help raise some funds or something. And that man became one of our ambassadors. And only like, say, year and a half maybe 18 months ago at maximum and 18 months later i'm stood with him stood next to him and we're walking through these big black gates onto downing street and we are both looking at each other going wow like this is the surreal moment and we walk up to number 10 downing street and the door opens and we hand in these pieces of paper these invitations an invitation that was given to us by the Lord Chancellor, by the uh, Secretary of State for Justice. And I'm walking through the door and Sam and I walk up these stairs and we are in number 10 Downing Street. And I've got a book and in the book, the strategy, the victim strategy is Sam's story and Survivors Manchester. And I just think, wow. Uh, On Wednesday... So in, you know, two days time, I will be in uh, the jail and I'll be working as a therapist with my clients. And I guarantee to you, I will have a wow moment because I just think being a therapist is the best job in the world because it's just full of wow moments. When you begin to see somebody grow in front of you, and you're part of that experience. It's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And that's really important to you. We talked about this before about, although you're the CEO, although there's loads of things that could mm-hmm. take up that time, mm-hmm. it's really important for you that you continue to have the opportunity to practice therapy with survivors. Absolutely. I still I still want to help people. I don't want to just help people by making sure the organization's going. That's really important, don't get me wrong. But I still want to, still want to be on the front line i still want to i still want to be part of and have the honor of being part of someone's journey because i do i I honestly think it's a a massive honor and you you know as a as a uh recently graduated a trainee therapist you know you are i'm a sniff away don't you're a sniff away right okay (laughs) so from that moment I mean, you're in that space now, surely, where you're just going, oh, my God, this is just phenomenal. Being with clients. Yeah, when you see that transformation happen, or even if you just walk gently alongside someone for a part of their journey. 
That's know, still wow. It's still wow. Yeah. It's still wow to see the resilience that people have. Completely. The strength of, you know, the strength that's within people just to carry on going. and That somebody is coming to sit in front of you and to engage in some kind of relationship with you where they're going to tell you some of their darkest secrets, some of their most shameful moments, some of their most intimate thoughts and feelings, and they have decided that you're the person that they're going to do that with. Like, if you're a therapist and you don't feel honoured and you don't feel lucky, then stop being a therapist, please. Yeah, <laughs> Quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's phenomenal. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm, o- I'm definitely over the 100 hours mark now. It's Congratulations. just one, one assignment away from, from a full graduation, but you're right, it is definitely the most mm. humbling experience as well to hear people's stories and to be part of it. Yeah. So um, we're going to switch things up a little bit now. Okay. We're going to talk about me and we're going to talk about my journey. So thank you for sharing yours. I'm known okay. to survivors and have been known to survivors, I think, for about five years now. Uh-huh. Um, some people that know me well will know that my ex-partner is also a survivor uh-huh. and was an ambassador for Survivors Manchester for some time. Correct. Um, because he broke his silence very publicly yeah. um, in order to help other survivors, which was very honourable of him. And I became a service user of Survivors Manchester as the partner of a survivor. Yeah. Which is something that you offer, isn't it? And still do, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we it's the direct, but the indirect. So so you were, at that point, the indirect person. Yeah. So I, I came along effectively as to, to have some support. But yeah. what a lot of people listening might not know is that I'm also a survivor myself. And that journey has been quite interesting shall we say and quite emotional and I wanted to share it today to talk about mm-hmm. it because I feel that my story is slightly different okay. to the uh, narrative that you see in the press the sensationalist headlines mm-hmm. um, and I suppose firstly it just feels very natural to say a big thank you to you for setting up survivors because I don't think I would be as far along as I am unable to sit here and have this conversation to begin with Welcome. Um, but the difficulty for me came around how much is is wrapped up in being a victim Mm. um, of, as I now see it, sexual exploitation. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we said beforehand we're going to talk around some of the terminology. But for me, what happened was probably, I would imagine it's now going back maybe eight years. Uh Uh, My ex and I sat down and I remember the moment in the kitchen uh, in our old house. And we both, for some reason, we both had a bit to drink. And I can't quite piece together the exact narrative now, but we both broke our silence to each other. Yeah. And we were the first people to ever tell the other their story. Okay. Um, but after that, the it was never spoken about again for years. So it went back into silence. It went back into silence. The yeah. next morning we woke up and we both knew that things had been said that couldn't be unsaid. Sure. And we both knew that we had an understanding of each other that we didn't have before. But still, I think looking back, there was there's so much shame and yeah. so much kind of mixed feelings that it was like, no, we can't. We can't do this. And we, we lived in Worcester at the time, a little sleepy town. Yeah. There wasn't the sort of, we didn't get exposure to the likes of Survivors Manchester. Yeah. I don't even know if you would have, you may have just have been around at that time. Sure, sure. But then what happened is, as time went on, um, my ex decided to, to take his um, perpetrator to 
to the police. So he mm-hmm. reported his story and um, uh, sort of a narrative followed thereon. And thankfully mm-hmm. for him, he s- secured a successful conviction um, against mm-hmm. the person that, yeah. that abused him. Yeah. The thing that was quite um, profound about that, and I suppose what I want to give voice to is for me when that moment happened mm. because my narrative wasn't in my eyes as sensationalist as that as as uh what's the word because that narrative did, wasn't the same as mine yeah i felt like i was pushed into sure. further silence sure so i kind of became the survivor partner of a survivor with yeah. people sort of saying gosh you know you must be so proud and and you must be and i was you know there was there was a real struggle between wanting to be there for him and be the champion of um, him and the message that he was trying to get across which was an incredibly important message but also on my side it was a case of will i ever be heard sure my story is not like that my story is not like the ones that you Mm, read in the headlines the hierarchy of pain yeah it was just like um i think you and i have spoken about this and the the, really rung in my ears where you said you know the science was broken and i got caught up in the shrapnel yeah so um the thing around that was that i got kind of i felt that because my story wasn't like a headline grabbing story yeah that somehow i was less of a survivor i wasn't entitled to call myself that and i guess that's what i mean about the hierarchy of pain you know whose pain is worth hearing about whose pain is the worst we all do it i think as human beings i think we all do that and when we see somebody else's pain and it sounds think you were kind of like sensational sounds big and maybe if we don't recognize our own is as big that's really silencing yeah and you're absolutely right because it wasn't actually now now I've been through the journey and I'll talk I want to talk a little bit about that the work that I've done with survivors because now I see that my survivorship is as valid and the things that happened to me were as relevant to me there is no kind of like oh your pain is better than mine absolutely or, uh, but that that took some time and, and I yeah. think the reason for that is because my my journey and my my survivorship story didn't involve um an old an adult that kind of groomed me and aggressively raped me sure um what my story was was I think if I can piece a piece that was like, a bit like you when you start piecing things yeah, together, yeah yeah I think I kind of got to the point where I was about seven or eight yeah. and the person that sexually exploited me yeah. was maybe 10, 11 or 12. Okay. Um, and it's an interesting one because when I was first in therapy with Survivors Manchester, I kind of dodged this subject and just kept going around the, but was it abuse? It was just two lads fooling around. It can't, it mm. can't have been that. And that, that word abuse just didn't, it didn't fit for me. Sure. Because in saying abuse, I thought who's the perpetrator and i couldn't imagine a 10 11 12 year old as some pedophile okay okay it just didn't it didn't fit and it stopped that kind of it stopped me in my tracks in terms of healing because i thought no i wasn't abused because i can't pin pin the the label of pedophile it's kind of not as clean cut as that exactly yes exactly yeah so um thanks to ross who's a fantastic therapist we kind of worked on okay so what because i just kept and I think we always rewrite our stories to, to yeah. so they're less harmful for us. Yes. So I kept rewriting the story of, well, you know, actually, maybe I was maybe I was nine 
or 10 and maybe sure. he was like 11 sure. or 12 and I was and so we did this exercise where we were like what is the minimum what is the absolute minimum age okay. difference okay. between the two of you on the yep. facts that you know so I knew that for, that for a fact that I was in primary school uh -huh. and my sister was in primary school okay and she's she was always a year older than me so there's your anchor points that I so was talking about before I've yep. got an anchor point of how I yep. was and I knew that this lad was in high school and he okay. was at least in the first year of high school. Okay. So I think he was older, but for the sakes of my healing, we were like, let's just go with what factually can't be disputed. You were in primary school. He was in, he high, was school. in high school. So that's the starting point. Sure. And that was really helpful because I didn't have to kind of pretend or make things up and go, well, you know, actually, if I'm a survivor, he has to yeah, be a little bit yeah. older. Yeah. But what followed from that was a really, really powerful conversation with my therapist about what is exploitation. And yeah. we got into a discussion about power and the misuse of power. And actually, what I came to realize was, even if we were the same age, yeah. even if I'd been the same age as this person, yeah. um, I could have come from, as I did, you know, a family, we didn't really talk about sex. I certainly, uh -huh. I certainly as a seven or eight-year-old, was not educated in what sex was. And... You could have another seven or eight-year-old who'd grown up in an environment where maybe they'd got older brothers and they'd been yeah. exposed to pornography and that kind of stuff. So they, you've got two people, same age, yeah. but with very different knowledge. Sure. And as we know, the famous expression, knowledge is power. Absolutely. So, so in my instance, what was happening was, you know, I was, this was a, a friend of, of the family's son. Right. who I would go over to their house for in the summer holidays. And it only happened over the course of one summer holiday, but I would go to their house to stay over that my mum's friend would babysit. Yeah. And this guy would invite me into his bedroom and we'd be playing together. And then he'd ask me to do certain things. And I just don't, I just at the time thought, oh, this is friendship. Oh, this is sure. what, this is what friendship is. Sure. This is what we do. Um, and I remember as that kind of went on, just thinking, oh, I've got a really good friend here. And I was a bit of a, a loner as a kid. Yeah. So I'd kind of like, you know, got this lad in front of me that was showing me kindness. And also the thing that I think is really important to point out, because it was a, certainly a big part for me, was just because something's abusive or exploitive, it doesn't mean that the victim doesn't feel pleasure. Absolutely. And it was such, to hear that from yeah, yeah. somebody, a professional, to say, you know what, a lot of the guilt comes in labeling yourself as a victim because you're like well actually yeah. it wasn't awful sure I did, you know I enjoyed it to some extent sure. and you know one of my the first therapists that I saw actually at, at Survivors said to me you know an eight-year-old a seven-year-old can experience pleasure completely so but that doesn't make it right and providing they have a central nervous system and the heart's beating exactly yeah and I just thought well hold on a second how can I call myself a victim of either abuse or exploitation if I willingly went into that lad's bedroom mm -hmm. and also enjoyed what happened when I was in there. Uh -huh. But I, it's only when you kind of start unpicking that and going, hold on yeah. a second. There was a massive power dynamic. Absolutely. There was a massive power differential there. Um, you know, for him to be at high school, yeah. things are happening on a physiological level yeah. that just weren't happening for me. Completely. You know, so, so Developmentally. Developmentally, yeah. Completely different. So, but but coming back to the language that was used, I couldn't get my head around this idea sure. of, of being abused. Sure, I get that, yeah. Um, it was like, I, I don't know about that. Yeah. And it, it really thwarted my progress. So I'd kind of had this experience with my ex who had, you know, broken his silence and and was really on along his journey. I'd then been felt like 
I've been sort of shut down. Yeah. And now I can look back and it wasn't him that shut me down. It of was course. it was the shame, it was the guilt, it was the nobody yeah. will believe me. Nobody will understand. Absolutely. There's an academic called uh, Chaborn Anderson. I think that's how you pronounce it. And uh, he says, shame and guilt are the hallmark of the victim. And I just think that is so true. I don't think I've ever met a survivor who hasn't felt shame, who hasn't carried shame, who hasn't felt guilt, who hasn't carried guilt. You asked me before, Adam, about wow moments. I'm having a wow moment now. I'm sat in front of you and hearing you and experiencing and witnessing you talk about you being a survivor and I'm having those those butterfly moments right now. Despite the fact that, you know, I knew we were going to talk like this. I didn't know exactly what you were going to say. and But I'm having a wow moment now because... What we're hearing and what you're doing is you're breaking the silence. Yeah, that makes me feel uncomfortable, as you can probably tell. Of course. Um, but uh, the reason why I wanted to do it and the reason why I wanted to talk is because there were, there's some key messages that I, I've learned from my own healing over, sure. over the last year, really. Um, one of those is, and this is going to sound almost hypocritical, but breaking your silence doesn't have to be releasing a podcast or creating a headline. Absolutely. It doesn't, I'm doing it because I feel that that's part of my survivorship. That's sure. part of my, my story. And, and I want to help other people with that. Yeah. That's, but that's very much personal to me. And I'm, I'm really keen that it doesn't come across like, yeah, if you want to break your silence, the only way that you can do it is to. Sure. But, but you speaking publicly about things mental health, uh, motivational speaking, is something that you've done anyway. So this this isn't like an alien environment for you. This is something you do anyway. Yeah, this is yeah. This is very natural for me to course, sit down and talk course. about myself. And, and actually, when you said that, then I was thinking, yeah, I speak quite openly about my experience with depression. Yeah. I, I speak quite openly about heartbreak. I speak yeah. quite openly about all these different things. Yeah. And yet there was this kind of like, what's that about? Sure. Because it... Shame. Yeah, yeah, shame. <laughs> Absolutely. It happened to me. Yes. Um, so why am I the one that's carrying the burden of keeping it quiet? Yeah, and I'd also like to point out, and I can't finish this without saying this, but I'm sure people listening will have picked this up. You said it only happened over one summer. Yeah. That's still part of that shame. It's still part of the minimising stuff. So it didn't only happen, it happened. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and and I suppose that's a nice kind of reflection of how impactful these things can be. Absolutely. On victims. And it you know, what you what you've identified there is a blind spot. Sure. It's and, and those are coming up all the time, but until I could find a narrative that allowed me to stand in the shoes of victim and say, yeah. yes, I was a victim. Yeah. No, there wasn't a paedophile that was pinning me down and aggressively raping me over the yeah. course of my summer holidays. No, that wasn't how it was. But there was a person in my life yeah. who had more power over me, yeah. who knew what they were doing when I yeah. didn't, and it left me with a scar. And the thing that I think is really, you know, and I'm... I'm you know, I'm really proud of you, Adam, for doing this. I really am. And when you talk about, you know, there wasn't this person who was aggressively, et cetera, et cetera, there is something in that where we go, 
yeah, you know, maybe the stranger danger message is something that we've all got to now finally admit is not the right message because statistically speaking, the aggressive pin you down, stranger danger, lot older, lot younger. Okay, without shadow of a doubt, it does happen. Of course it does. But your experience of what you're describing probably happens way more than people are prepared to admit or than people necessarily want to admit. And even things like, you know, you're more likely to be abused by someone that's very close to you, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a whole wealth of psychology around that, you know, which is about perpetrators, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, they're, they're, we've, we have to move beyond this idea of older person, younger person, you know, aggressive, violent, et cetera, et cetera, to begin to really understand the wider perspective of, unwanted sexual experiences and i think that is the exact reason why i want to do this yeah because i want to create a narrative that other people yeah. like me can look to and say oh I'm, I'm 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 valid i will be heard yeah and i think you know we've talked haven't we i'm actually now on the expert advisory panel yeah survivors yeah um and we've talked about the language that survivors manchester put out in terms yeah, of yeah. um the messaging and how it's communicated yeah because it just feels like if i'd had if i if that narrative had been more present when i was going through my stuff sure i might have been able to identify with it yeah yeah because i suppose what happened after that is i'd minimized it as just two lads fooling around yeah but when when my first therapist said to me so what else do you remember about being six seven eight oh yeah it, I, I drew a blank because sure. I, and that to me was like oh so it was significant yeah yeah I noted it as being an event yeah. that had an had an impact on me yeah and I'm not walking around shouting about it so to me that the sense I made of that was it had a negative impact on me or it left me with yeah shame. and that's the thing though that's what you know that's a really important thing of what you're talking about here is you you know I hear you talking about you have experiences that have left you feeling a sense of shame that have left a mark on you in some way shape or form that you're now unpicking and you're now trying to smooth that over and you're now trying to find some healing from it so it kind of like I get it does matter, but in the, in another sense, it doesn't necessarily matter what we call it. What's important is how you experienced it. That's the important thing. Because it's something that you now look back at and go, that wasn't right. That wasn't okay. That's important. Your experience is important. Not necessarily what we call it. Uh, yeah, and I think... You're absolutely right, and I and through the course of therapy, I've finally reached the point now where I can go. That happened to me, yeah. whatever it was. Yes, sexual harm, sexual exploitation, abuse, if you want yeah. to use the legal term for yeah. it. But actually, it just happened, and yes. it left me with something. and And I suppose the reason why I want to speak out is because 
whilst I was denying that, or not denying, but whilst that was out of my awareness as something that had harmful that had happened to me, or I was locking it away in shame. Yeah. It was busy affecting every part of my life without Absolutely. me realizing yeah. it. So I had this, I don't mind talking about this, but you know, when I was growing up as a teenager and after that, I thought I had to have sex with all my friends yeah, yeah. to cement friendship. Sure. I thought that was, and if, and if I didn't, I thought that's what they wanted of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, I can't truly be friends with somebody until yeah. that, that has happened. And, you know, trust issues in relationships, insecurities, yeah. Yeah. kind of low self-worth, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that it was the only thing that fed into that. But when I've worked on it, there's just moments where I think, yeah, why wouldn't you think that of friendship is, yeah. can only be meaningful if there's sex? Because that's what you were Absolutely. That's your That's your foundation that's your that that's that kind of that that really root foundation development moment like that kind of in a particular like in transactional analysis type of therapy you go, that's where you kind of like that part of your life script began mm. that's what you learned that's the template absolutely that never got corrected so that's what you just carry on thinking this is what you do and it never got corrected because i never found a place that I thought anything that had happened was wrong I mean sure. I, I had a I had a sense of god I can never tell anyone about that and you know I seem to remember this person who was 10 11 or 12 whatever saying you know we can't talk about this because this is just you know between friends sure so again it kind of and that's like a really known and yeah. familiar to a lot of survivors yeah. is the silence of just keep it down and I suppose that's again a nice segue into talking about there isn't just one victim when this happens because I'm sat here talking and I know at some point my mum's going to listen to this, my sister's going to listen to this, sure. my extended family will be listening to this. Sure. And I know my, I have my mum's full endorsement. Yeah. Not that I, I need it, but okay. it's nice to have. Good. Um, but I spoke to her about it and she's, you know, riddled with guilt and blame and thinking that god what could she have done what could she have done and actually you know objectively when you look back there wasn't anything you know i wasn't neglected yeah. as a child yeah i wasn't forced to stay in that house yeah. you know short of having literally going up the stairs every five minutes to check where i was the yeah. and this is the point you know these things happen yeah um you know they happen all the time and i just want to get the message out there about you know if something similar happened to you and you're going, well, it was just too last. If you've got that feeling of, I remember it vividly. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to tell people about it. Yeah, yeah. Then maybe it's time to just check in. That thing yeah. about, I don't want to tell people if, you know, if that comes from any place of shame, embarrassment, maybe one should begin to ask oneself, why do I feel embarrassed or shameful about it? And whose shame is it? You know, is it my shame to carry? Did I do something wrong? If if I really look at it, the answer's got to be, no, I didn't do anything wrong. So then why are you carrying shame? And I just think anybody that carries shame, shame is toxic. It crucifies people. Don't let it. Don't let it eat you up. Even though people go, you know, oh, well, you know, oh, that abuse stuff. Yeah, you know, like, oh, I've dealt with that. You know, it, it's all of, I just don't think about it anymore. And then they proceed to tell you about all the things that happens in life where 
they go out and get absolutely wasted about something or they have these trigger moments. But, you know, as far as they're concerned, they've written this narrative that says, I don't think about that. But they're still there carrying this shame. They're carrying this this stuff that they have to work really hard at trying to push away. Therapy is a really difficult thing. Asking for help is a really difficult thing. But I just think, trust us on this. If something like that is you're holding it, speaking about it is difficult, but, oh, God, you can get rid of it. Yeah, and, and I, I'm a first-hand account of that. Absolutely. You know, I held on to it. I think I, when I was describing when I broke my silence to to my ex, I think I was in my late 20s, so I'd held yeah. on to that for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it frequently came into my sure. awareness. It was frequently sure. like, oh, what was that? What was that? I wonder what yeah, that yeah. was. And definitely can't tell it. Everything that you've just said, you know, can't yeah, tell yeah. anyone. Too shameful. Yeah. You know, I, I had some pleasure that was involved there, so yeah. definitely can't, you know, say sure, that it was yeah, in yeah. any way abusive or exploitive. Um, but coming to terms with that narrative and actually being having a space yeah. where I could go and just kind of explore it and talk about all the bits that went with it, which yeah. we don't have time for today, but all of the spin-offs that come yeah, with that yeah. type of an experience. You know, it's almost like, well, I look at my family now and I've got a niece who's the same age as I would have been. Yeah. And that was a wake-up call for me because yeah. I look at her and I go, sure. could she know what was going on sure. if someone sure. did that to her? And that was a bit of a yeah oh shit yeah. moment. It was a yeah, it yeah. was a massive realization that. But actually, as a ten year old, eleven, twelve year old, whatever, would they know what they were doing? Of course, yeah, of course they would. So, so part of my story, you, you know, is is the age difference was massive. It was 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 a big part. Sure, the age difference wasn't wasn't massive, but the it was a massive part of me not dealing, yeah, or not accepting yeah, 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 the the story, but also kind of what it I suppose it just that that in itself held me back but yeah. owning that and being able to say no just because I wasn't a, a, a perpetrator I, I don't want to take this person to court I don't sure. want to file sure. charges or yeah. anything like that I've never done that um I don't feel that that is part of what I want to do I I think everybody has a, a right to do that if they want. Absolutely. Um, and or they be not. Or not. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but that was also a thing that I was thinking, oh, well, I don't really want to do that. Does that yeah, make, yeah. still make me a survivor? But the biggest thing that's come out of this is you can be a victim yeah. and not want and not have that a you know, typical perpetrator. Absolutely. Your story is still valid. Yeah. Even if the person was the same age as you. Your experience is still valid. Yeah. And your healing is still important. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's left me with a lot, but I would say now I am a survivor. Hooray! Hooray, yes. Um, And I want to do more of this. I want to talk about... Sorry, I I want to give a voice to the people like me that yeah. perhaps haven't got a stronger voice. It's an important voice. Um, and there's a lot that I think can be done through the expert advisory panel, which yeah. I'm proud to be part of. I'm, I'm really proud that you're part of it um, as well. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's there's so many different experiences around the table. And the one thing that I applaud you for is setting up because the reason for that is to have those different voices yeah. for survivors, not just one narrative which yes. kind of goes out. It's about all these different people that have had an experience that they've been left with that they feel was, um, what was it you said earlier? It was really 
at the very start about a sexual experience that you didn't want. Sort of an unwanted sexual experience. Yeah, an unwanted sexual experience. Yeah. So I kind of feel like there's a space for that voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the world of survivors. Yeah. So. That, wow. That felt big. Wow. <laughs> Getting that off my chest. Um, so, Adam, tell me, do you have nice. wow moments? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having one right now, Duncan. Yeah. Yeah, it feels significant. Um, well done. I'm really proud of you. Really proud of you. Because I know how, how important this is. And, you know, part of, as I said to you before, part of my reason for wanting to sit down and talk to you was, uh, as opposed to, you know, you said before about standing next to somebody in the therapeutic journey. And whilst I'm not your therapist and I've never been your therapist, feels really, I feel really privileged to be stood next to you right now because this is still part of your therapeutic journey. This is therapeutic. Anything can be therapeutic. This is part of your therapeutic journey, and it feels really nice to be stood next to you. Yeah, it feels like a significant moment that I don't think I'll I'll forget, and certainly when it's aired sure. <laughs> and it's out there yeah. um, and there's a response to it, that will be a, a different thing for me to deal with as part of my journey. Yeah. But I am firmly in my narrative now. I know what happened. I know sure. how it's affected me. Sure. I am. I was a victim. Yeah. Um, and I'm now a survivor and I'm now wanting to help other people. Yeah. But I couldn't have, who knows? I don't feel like I would be where I am now had it not been for survivors Manchester because the support that's been offered just just knowing initially that you were there and helping me deal with the fallout from you know one survivor and yeah. their story yeah um which is a story which absolutely needed to be heard of course but to to see my journey through that and to know that at all times survivors have been there if i've just wanted to a drop in yeah you do drop in sessions if i just wanted to email something yeah. across or if i wanted to just check in with a therapist as a bit yeah. of a one-off i've done all of those things and i've had the extended therapy services yeah. so without that would I be sat here now breaking my silence and owning the story in the way I am? I just, I don't feel I would. I, sure. or it might, I might have got there eventually. Yeah. But I want to say a thank you to you for making that decision 10 years ago. You're more than welcome. And, and you know, Survivors Manchester isn't about me. Survivors Manchester is about survivors in Greater Manchester. You're a survivor in Greater Manchester. I am a survivor in Greater Manchester. It feels good to say that. Yeah. And I hope that as we work together in yeah. the future, we can encourage more people to, Absolutely. to do that healing. Because the way that I would describe my journey is that at some point when I was seven or eight, mm. someone tipped the ship a little bit, one degree, and yeah. I've been sailing in that direction ever since. Sure. And when I got to like... 28 and then I got into therapy and I yeah. realized that hold on a second this is this that that tilt has yeah, yeah. had carrying that shame yeah yeah for so long not only being a survivor but being a gay survivor so you've got yeah, gay yeah. shame so, you know sure. vi victim shame all that kind of stuff wrapped sure. up just set me off on a tilt and now I feel like I've been able to do some repair work yeah back on to, course back on course yeah, yeah back with the awareness i now understand like oh i'm having a response to this situation yeah. i know where that comes from that's an old record yeah it's not mine yeah this yeah, isn't yeah. Me. this is yeah 
I can choose to be different. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a good place to to, Amazing. to wrap up. Amazing. But thank you for again for absolute pleasure coming absolute here. Pleasure. I wouldn't have wanted to do this with anybody else. Thank you. Um, no would I. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to working with you. Yeah. And I want to do a shout out to anybody that's listening to the podcast. Yeah. If they feel um, moved by the story or they yeah. feel like it resonates to them, I'm going to put links up Brilliant. to access all the services. But yeah. also, um, I'll put a link up to donate as well. Okay, thank so you. So if people want to make a donation, thank you. Um, then they'll know how to do that. Yeah. But is there anything that you kind of want to say as some close words, either about survivors or what just, you're doing next you know, or what's just, going on? Just for me, it's about, you know, I think you've said it yourself and hopefully people have, have heard what you're saying, which is about choice. You don't have to carry shame. You don't have to carry guilt. You don't have to speak out very publicly. You don't have to tell anybody. You could just tell yourself, but you've got choice. And just for me, that sometimes is enough because during any form of unwanted sexual experience, you don't have choice. You don't have choice because it's unwanted. Therefore, I don't want it. Now you've got choice, awareness, healing, breaking the silence, it gives you choice. And I suppose for people that haven't broken their silence yet, just know that when you're ready, people are here to listen. Wonderful. Thank you so much for, Thank you. for coming on the podcast. And again, I know how dedicated you are to Survivors Manchester. I know how busy you are. Mm -hmm. I see your schedule. Yeah. But I also... Um, see how you just go around really promoting both individuals and the charity and yeah. it must be must be hard at times and it's undoubtedly yeah. encroached on all areas of your life but the work that you're doing is incredible and thank I'm you. looking forward to walking alongside you for the next part of it it's an honor thanks a million I hope you heard from this podcast that I'm so far along in my healing but it all started with breaking my silence and seeking support. So if you've been affected by anything like what I've talked about, please, please reach out. There are people that can help you. You don't have to suffer in silence. It's not yours to carry. If you'd like to donate to Survivors of Manchester, look out for the links in the bio. And if you're looking for support, listen on, because I'll be talking a little bit about that after this segment. If you're looking for support following this podcast, the best thing I could advise you to do is to head to Survivors Manchester website. That's at survivorsmanchester.org.uk. There's a section on there called support services, which have a number of services for all genders of survivor. So take a look at that. There's also a national helpline, which is 0808 800 5005. Don't suffer in silence. If you feel that you can donate to Survivors Manchester, this is a plea from me, please do. Survivors have helped me so much with my journey and I wouldn't be where I am now without them. Every pound counts, so dig into your pockets if you can, make that donation, there'll be a link in the bio. I'm probably going to be doing up a follow-up podcast to this, so listen out for that, but for now just take care of yourself and we'll speak again soon.